I'm Danielle Laporte, and essentially, this is a one-woman show about self-realization called With Love, Danielle. few quick things to mention. These are adult conversations, so heads up. I'll be talking about compassion, self-help fatigue, sex, joy, serving the world. This is about a spirituality that's way more rock and roll than it is oppressive. I'm here to help you turn your anxiety into power. Personally, I want to live more deeply, but lighten up. You're going to hear about all the ways that I have finally figured out how to do that. I am not into making grand motivational promises, but I can commit to showing up as fully, sincerely, authentically as possible with the intention of really alleviating suffering and amplifying joy just for starters. It's about doing everything I can to help all of us feel a little less crazy, a lot more full of possibility, and clearly part of the solution. Hello friends, in this episode I'm talking about all things simplicity. We're going to go through a tour de force of my life that you may relate to, of every area that I pretty much radically simplified over the last 18 to 24 months. I'm talking about house and stuff, all the material things, how I've simplified my business, what's been going on in some relationships, and then my spiritual practice. Let me kick off with a quote from a beautiful spiritual teacher who I came across recently. His name is Torquem Saradarian, who said, Simplicity is a very esoteric word. It means, among many other things, the absence of pain-causing chains of association. Simplicity is the absence of pain-causing chains of association. You're saying no to things that distort your view. And what's that view? It's the illusory view that you are separate from source, separate from divine, where simplicity lives, where inner peace always is. So what are the things, the material things, energetic and otherwise, that distort your view of your inner grace, of the divine light within, of that flame in your heart that wants to nourish and create And when it's called for, destroy that which is blocking its view to the simple truth of love. So here we go, a simple journey on simplicity. I'm so excited to have this conversation because I've been obsessed with this topic, with this way of being for about a year and a half now. In the last mm, 12-ish months, I have radically simplified my life. I have been approaching simplicity as a spiritual practice. You might want to consider it. So (laughs) this is what's gone down. Over the last year, I've gone through every area of my life and just asked, what's real, what's not real? What do I need? What do I not need? What do I want? What do I not want? What's my will, the will of my small self, And what's the will of like the great flow? And simplicity has become like this magnetic pull for me. Really started when 
so many of us in the world decided the best thing to do at that time was to shelter in place just to see where world health was going. And I have never felt such a strong yearning to make a shift other than the time when I felt like it's time to make a baby. (laughs) My then husband just walked in and I was just like, here's some French toast. I need to have a baby. Let's go. And then the only other pull of this kind of intensity was when I knew I wanted to commit to my current partner. (laughs) Just say, I'm all in. So simplicity has been a very deep calling. The biggest learning is that just like birth and being in love, there's a kind of rapture to it. Simplifying is the rapture that comes after all of the complexity that you wished you had avoided. It's like you make it all complex and then you get clear and you get clean and it's a kind of bliss. So let me start with a category of home and stuff. Stuff, plural stuffs. I have let go of more than half of my material things. Uh, I either sold it, I gave it away, I recycled it, I donated it. In the neighborhood that I used to live in a few months ago, there are free piles everywhere in the alleys. I love this part of my community culture. Sometimes people put a little sign on it, say it still works. Other times it's just there in the alley. And about seven o'clock at night after dinner is the best time to scope for the free pile. So for months, my life was the free pile. And I let go of things that I actually cherished. This wasn't about just letting go of things that were like, eh, I didn't love anymore, I didn't wear. These were things that I had held close to my heart for a while, like my grandmother's dishes, which I boxed up and hauled cross country three times, but I only used once a year. My grandmother, Alma, rest in her glory. Uh, she bought those plates with food stamps during the Depression. And I really felt like I needed to honor her going through the depression. Like, she does not care. She didn't care then. She doesn't care now. I put the dishes up on Craigslist for free. Craigslist is my friend. And I gave them to the person who seemed most excited. That's one of my metrics for dealing with people on Craigslist. Like, do you have the enthusiasm? And this really nice lady uh, who took them texted me photos of her and her husband drinking tea with a cups and saucers. And she mentioned that she would pray for my soul. So many beautiful things happen through Craigslist. And it's worth noting, my son and I did about 50-some transactions via Craigslist and other marketplaces, and we left most of the items on our porch, some for free, some for money, and we asked people, just leave the money in the mailbox or under the doormat, and every single person came through. This has been going on for years, just like us putting it on the porch. Humans are good. If you want to run a human social experiment, just do a lot of interactions on Craigslist. It's also worth noting that the ideology that I'm going to keep something in case I need it in the future, in case you need it, it's just a racket. If you have not used it in over a year, you might want to just consider moving it on. Other people probably need it now. Just give it away. Big simplifying. My son and I moved from a house with the yard, into a much, much smaller apartment. Every cell in my body was craving to be near the forest, to be near water. And now we're within walking distance to the ocean and to giant sequoias. When I was walking through my house to like lighten everything, really the question was like, can I live without this? 
Can I live without this? Can I thrive without this? And the answer to everything is yes. So I was like, why do I need this bed frame? I don't need a bed frame. It's just a thing. My mattress is now on the floor. I gave away most of our art. I went, why do I need these wine glasses? We, I barely drink wine. They break every time I wash them. I do not need these. Regular glasses to drink out of wine are just fine. I'm not worried about people judging me if and when they come to my house and bring a bottle of wine to drink. And here's just a regular glass. I just need six glasses. That's it. Vases. What, I can put my flowers in a jar. Sacred objects. Oh, so many things I've been collecting over the years, like statues of Kali and Saraswati and Parvati and all these deities I had because I thought they were going to help me manifest what I wanted or they were going to signal the universe that I was aligned with love and higher consciousness. And they're just objects. They are sacred because we say they're sacred. They're sacred because I say they're sacred. They're sacred because many people over time, history, chanting and mantras and prayers and devotion and worship and adoration over and over again, that adds to the morphogenic field. And these objects do get imbued with a higher vibration, the vibration that gets raised to the intention of aligning yourself with the divine. But do I need those objects in my life to remind me of divinity? of my divinity, not anymore. They were truly, I believe, vibrationally helpful at a certain time in my life. You know that Kali statue I bought off of Amazon? I'm going to talk about why I don't buy things off of Amazon anymore. That Kali statue helped me get through my divorce. It helped me to remind, you know, that so much of creation comes through healthy destruction. And I'm done with that kind of destruction. So I didn't feel like it was appropriate to sell those kinds of things. Uh, so I found someone who was going to really appreciate them and who needed those kinds of energy in her life and her husband's life now. And I gifted all that stuff away. Art supplies. If I need them again, I'll get them again. All the stuff I've been collecting from my kids years of going to school. He's a teenager now. He's not going to do his little crafties. So gifted it all to some schools and some kids of friends. Paperwork. Never been a big keeper of paperwork. I've never, ever, ever once regretted throwing away, recycling, burning a warranty <laughs> or a guarantee from any kind of appliance or even my tax stuff, never, just gone. It's all digital. If someone needs to come after me for something, I either have it or I don't. But you know what? It's better that I don't lighter. I can move more freely. Photos, I can't. I don't uh, need to be reminded of a ton of memories. They're in my heart. Just lighten the load. I was there when it happened. We're good. Of course, I kept lots of baby things. I want my son to be able to see how loved he was when things began, you know. A lot of the paper stuff went into the recycling bin. My son, who I think I mentioned is a teenager now, we both decided to dial way back on buying anything that's new. So I found like it's amazing what happens when you just let your online shopping cart just sit there for a day. Don't buy the thing immediately. Just like a day or two, go back and you might come back 
to your cart and realize, nope, don't need that stuff either. So no more rushing to buy things. Um, If I do bring in something new into my life, a new object, a sweater or something, then I'm trying to get in the habit of removing something old from my closet or my space. I burned about seven years worth of journals. I just considered it this pyre of relief. And burning journals is up there for people with like co-sleeping and religion. It's like this hot topic here. You see, people seem to be on one side or the other. I'm on the side of release. So what I do is I had a fireplace in my backyard, just like a pit. And I'd go through each journal pretty quickly. I would highlight things that were creative ideas that I had in my creative escrow and that it might become a chapter in a book someday or hello, a podcast or a bad poem or something. And I would pull those things out and the rest I would burn. Like I don't need to read notes about a breakup again. It all lives in my consciousness. I want to move on. So gone, released, I was intentional to burn all those things in the dark of the moon. The dark of the moon are the two days, the 48 hours before a new moon. So lots of us familiar with a new moon and we want to start fresh and tabula rosa and new beginnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to really have a truly fresh start, you want to get rid of the old and you want to be in sync with what the planets are doing. You want to ride that energy. So the dark of the moon is the time of shadow consciousness and darkness. And so be with it. What is in your subconscious, in your past, that needs to be let go of? So it's a great time to tear things up, to journal about all the stuff you want to let go of, the thought forms that are holding you back, um, dynamics and relationships that you want to put to rest, things you want to clean up. So seven years of journals. Peace out. Let's talk about Amazon. I canceled my Amazon Prime membership, and I have essentially stopped shopping there almost completely. If there's something weird and unique, like a little gizmo apart for something that I cannot find anywhere else, then I'll shop on Amazon. I'm aware that there are hundreds of thousands of small businesses that use Amazon as their platform. And if it's the only place where they are selling their wares and I can support a small business or a craftsman, then I'll suck it up and I'll do that through Amazon. I've stopped shopping on Amazon, not just because I want to consume less, but because Amazon is a major supporter of prison labor. And prison labor is just part of this heinous racket of the over-incarcerating, mostly of people of color. Think of all people, but very specifically people of color, very specifically men of color. If you want to know more about this, just watch Ava DuVernay's really stunning documentary called The 13th. I also believe that Amazon's founder, a man of phenomenal wealth, I think that phenomenal wealth would be better used to say, you know, like save the actual Amazon rainforest or get clean drinking water to poison communities rather than say using that phenomenal wealth to like invade life on Mars. Why don't we clean up the planet that 7 billion people live on before we go invade another planet? Kind of 
makes sense to me, but I guess common sense is not that common even when you are a gazillionaire. So as a small business, we've stopped linking all of my books and any products that we recommend online uh, to Amazon. We just peace out. Speaking of books, part of letting go of half of my material things included letting go of many boxes of books. Boxes of books I really loved (laughs) that I have carried around from city to city over years with every move. Well-marked books, highlighted books, books with little hearts in the margins, books that helped me write other books. Boxes. I collected boxes of brand new books that I had never read, but I promised myself that I would read them so that I could feel more accomplished about all the books that I had bought and then responsibly read. Gone. If I'm meant to read a book, I can bike over to my favorite independent bookstore, which happens to be Banyan Books in Vancouver, BC, and I can pick up that book. Business. So this practice of simplicity, of simplifying as a spiritual practice, I let it flow like water into every crevice of my life. So this wasn't just stuff. It's worth saying that I've never been a super stuff kind of person. So I didn't have a triple garage full of memories and clothes and all the things we collect over time. Been pretty good about being a conscious consumer. And I do have this kind of Zen ambition, which is totally an oxymoron. (laughs) If you're super Zen, you have no ambitions. (laughs) Yeah. So you would never find me on an episode of like the hoarders, but I just want everything that I have to be as eco responsible as possible, to be as loved and cherished as possible. And I just don't want to contribute to the burden on any kind of system, whether it's prison labor or all of the the water and the oil and the resources that go into plastic and cardboard and shipping and the thing and that ends up in the body of Mother Earth. All right, let's talk about simplifying my work in the world. If you want to simplify your business, you're probably going to learn that simplifying can be complex and really time consuming. So we started rearranging everything in my business so that we could focus more deeply on fewer projects. Less, deeper. If you hang around, you'll see some of those shifts gradually unfold, especially with this new heart-centered facilitator program that I'm rolling out. Uh, You can get on the interested list for that, by the way, if you go to daniellelaporte.com slash facilitator. So I've developed all of these practices for conversations around polarization and inner child work, and you can use them in the workplace, you can use them in your coaching practice, etc. My point here with simplification is that focusing more on our community instead of making new books or selling little online programs feels really relishing. It feels like nourish. It feels like growing beautiful relationships that can create change. And that kind of deep nourishment can only happen with 
simplifying and with focus. We reorganized 11 years worth of all of my content into a new site. That site took nine months to build because simplifying can take some time. And I nuked dozens and dozens of writings that I no longer resonate with. Even things that were popular that got a lot of clicks and favorites and all that kind of stuff. It's not who I am today. Uh, So by gone, burned it like a journal. Speaking gigs and traveling, I decided to not travel anymore, not because of any restrictions in the world or any kind of caution, just because my soul and my heart want to simplify. So, and it turned out, what I've learned over the last year or so, is that I can have just as intimate of an experience with an audience or a team on Zoom. I miss my high heels. I miss the hugging. There's lots I don't miss about traveling, the shitty food and the hotel rooms with all the blinking things. Why so many blinking things in every hotel room? You know, the chargers and the outlets and the clocks and the things on the TV and the gizmos and the cable boxes and just, I'm there to sleep. I just want to sleep. If I ever started a hotel throughout every hallway, it would just say, shh, we're all here to sleep. Anyway, sleep, hotels. Speaking gigs, yeah, that's where I was. Yeah, speaking gigs. So, you know, I can do my gigs now barefoot and philosophical. Uh, It's just working fine for me. Hire me for your speaking gigs. I will be there on Zoom. Not doing, okay, let's talk about not doing. So I used to paint. I painted on these big canvases, big abstracts of circles and seeds, same theme, me trying to get to God through this portal. And my stuff was never that great. Maybe it could have been great, but I decided that being the next Rothko is not my dharma. So I decided that I was just going to retire. I've been painting for years, lots of paints, lots of canvases, but like I have a vocation and this is it, (laughs) what I'm doing right now. So I gave all those materials to a truly talented painter who also happens to be my best friend, Candice Hoey, C-A-N-D-I-S-H-O-E-Y. Go check out her beautiful art. And I got down to this. I, I sat in my painting area for like an afternoon and just stared at like all the canvases that I made and the things that nobody ever saw, mostly because what I would do is I would paint something and then I would go back in a couple months later and then gesso over it, just paint it all white again and start over. So I never really finished or gave away, definitely never sold a painting, never showed anything. It's like, you know, I'd have these like spiritual experiences on a weekend late at night painting something, but I can get that in other ways. So I just asked myself, do I want to paint for like the zero people who see my work or do I want to actually spend time with the people that I love? So I chose people over paint. And I'd say like, it's the first thing in my life I'd ever actually retired from. I don't need to do it for the rest of my life. Lots of people are like, oh, you can like do another studio. And it's like, probably not. Just yoga, people, love, peace out. Relationships, simplifying relationships. I found as I committed to the energy of simplicity, and it worked its way into my heart and my psyche, was almost like it happened in concentric circles. The simplifying for me happened, you know, the intention was very deep, deep in my heart, and then I worked from the outside in. And as the energy 
of simple moved into my psyche, I found that I was relaxing my efforting with a lot of my relationships. So it wasn't intentional at first. It was a result of having a calmer nervous system because there was more quiet in my life. There was more space opening up in my life. And then this energy just flowed into everything else. And also, like in full disclosure, in the same time frame, like I fell in love and I'm writing a book. <laughs> so, you know, I'll call y'all back. But I've been in less touch with many of my friends as a result of simple. But I found that our actual connection time is just as deep, if not deeper, and more revealing and more fun. And I also gave up, you know, that, that energy of efforting of like, I'm going to call you back. I'm checking on you. Do, you. do you see that I love you? I'm loving. Let me prove to you how loving I am. Look, love is there. It doesn't need to be proven. And we all know this dynamic of when we haven't been in touch with someone for a long time. You just pick up where you just left off. Love is timeless. It's this river that's always flowing. We step in and out of it. Yeah. I also gave up being pissed off at certain people for things that they have been doing for years. I just decided, meh, just love her because that's simple. With all this simplifying and cleansing, I felt this kind of inner peace starting to reveal itself to me. And I think that's a really important part of this dynamic with simplifying is that you might see that the inner peace is always there. Peace is a virtue of the heart. We just bury it under all of the to-do lists and the ambitions and all of the, the complexities of striving and wanting to do things to please people who don't really know us. Inner peace is always, always there. Which brings me to spiritual practice and simplifying. So I decided to simplify my practices and my near constant seeking and so-called spiritual striving. This is something I've been wrestling and relaxing with. Wrestle, relax, wrestle, relax for my whole spiritual search for lifetimes. It's, it's exhausting, actually, this constant seeking for peace outside of myself, authority outside of myself, for divine favor, uh, seeking ways to burn my karma so that I can finally feel worthy enough for peace. It's a racket. The peace is already there. It's like any great Zen master will tell you, you're already enlightened. You just forgot. One thing that I decided to do in the spirit of simplicity was to focus on one particular meditation for a set of time. I started with one meditation for 21 days. What I used to do was like try this prayer to see if I got a certain result and try this meditation and the next meditation. It was also part of this kind of this striving energy of like, I'm going to do all these different meditations and yeah, look, I can master this one and I can do that one, but you're not really mastering those things. So I committed to a full 21 days. After that, I still felt I wanted to go deeper. I was seeing different things every time 
I did the practice, so I recommitted to a full three months, finished that, and then I've recommitted. And I don't know if I'll do a week at a time or another three months, or I'll do the same particular meditation for a, a year. The reason you might want to consider focusing on one particular meditative practice for a longer period of time is that you get to go deeper into it. You get to see what the different symbols mean to you. My experience is I would see and understand a different layer of the practice itself, of my inner world, or something became more apparent to me every time I went into that sacred space. So it's like cleaning your house in a way. Instead of saying, you know, I'm going to clean up the backyard and I'm going to clean up the, the driveway. It's just like, stay in the house, go through every room of the house and thoroughly declutter and see what the next phase for each room is. I don't know if that's a useful metaphor, but Go deep, and depth requires a spirit of abiding and commitment. And when it's time to go, when your thoroughness has done its work, then you'll know when you move on to your next practice. Hey, can I just press pause here with you and read you something? It goes like this. This was my first month with the heart-centered membership, and I'm not going to lie, I was super skeptical that it would be such a huge waste of money, lol, but it turns out that this is it. This is totally it. This is everything I ever wanted. Uh, And she goes on, this month I chose love over and over again. It made everything better. It made me realize everything is a choice. I feel supported in my own insanity. I learned I don't have to be so hard all the time, so angry, so righteous. I can choose love instead for everything and always. This month in Heart Centered has been so transformational. There are no words for how excited I am to continue with this down the road. Hello. How's that for a testimonial? And there's lots of similar vibration testimonials that we are collecting from the members in Heart Centered. Every month I give you two live meditation classes on the new moon and the full moon. Every other week we do a live Q&A session and we go deep. They are lively. They are heartfelt. There's a guided meditation to focus on every month. I write these incredible essay perspective pieces that I collaborate on with an energy worker. There's a deep journaling practice. There's always a mantra. And there's a playlist. And sometimes it's funky and sometimes it's sweet. And then we do two write and burn rituals. Now, here's the thing. You choose from this menu of practices what you want to do. Just pick the practices that resonate with you. You want to do the prayer? Just do the prayer. You want to do the journaling and partake in a heart-to-heart live session? Just do that. It's all based on resonance. Join us. It's deep. It's rich. It's solace. It's refuge. It's high vibe. DanielleLaporte.com slash heart-centered. One more thing to say about sticking with a spiritual practice for a period of time is it's really a way to become more intimate with yourself and creation. And if I've learned anything through falling in love and spiritual practice and simplicity, it's that the boon, the gift of steadiness, 
of abiding is intimacy. And specifically with practice, and of course with relationships, whether they're familial or friendship or romantic. You know, some days you're going to dial it in. And then other days your heart is going to be aflame with seeing some new dimension of love or courage within yourself, within the universe. Yeah. Side note here, the meditation that I've been practicing with continuity is called the Golden Blue Chalice Meditation. And it's one of the meditations that are exclusive just for our heart-centered members. So we have a few practices that are kept within that community just for uh, what we call energetic containment. So it keeps the, the containers, if you look at each visualization or meditative practice as an energetic container, we want to keep that extra clean and extra sacred. So it's not this velvet rope scarcity marketing thing where like, hey, you can only get this if you're a heart-centered member. It's like, no, this is a sacred situation. We want to keep it that way. And yeah, if you want to become a heart-centered member, please join us for some solace, for some refuge, for some togetherness. I've also pretty radically simplified my ingesting of media. So I'm still on social media and it just feels like it's a circus out there. It's also a platform to be of service. It's, you know, it's like any technology. Are you going to use it for good or are you going to use it to drive yourself crazy? I've had a longstanding practice of not following a lot of people on social and using the people I do follow sort of as this revolving door in a way like I'll follow somebody for three to six months and get to know their life and their teachings and then unfollow them. And sometimes I let people know like, hey, don't be offended, but I'm going to go and check in on you. I actually have a little list on my phone of people like, I want to go in and see what they've got to say about this now, but I don't have to be checking in on their feed on a regular basis. That helps me keep things thinner and, and lighter in terms of what I'm taking in, in terms of the media. I haven't actually watched a newscast in, I don't know, probably seven years. So that was definitely not something I needed to simplify. But where I really double down on my vigilance and simplicity is with music. I notice that the more silence I become aware of, silence isn't something you create. You know, it's like inner peace. It's always already there. So the more clutter I remove and veils and obstacles and stuff and thinking and beliefs, the more silence I become aware of. The more silence I become aware of, the more aware I become that noise has a sticky quality to it. And that there is a programming effect that happens with so much repetitive pop culture media. I would find myself, after a few days of not listening to a lot of mainstream music, could have one song that had a negative message, and it would stand out in sort of that clear lake of my mind, like this boy that I didn't want to have there, that the noise, things that are out of alignment with love and forgiveness and compassion 
is sticky and loud. And it's the last thing I want to be bringing into my inner world. So I've pretty much stopped listening to pop music. Any song that I come across, even if it's like a Nat King Cole or some new age something that doesn't have a message that is about love, that is something that I want to bring into my life and emanate and radiate, I just fast forward or I delete it off of my playlist. I do not want my mind being programmed about self-hatred or heartbreak or how heartbreak is inevitable or how you left me and lost me and you owe me and I owe you and the world is a hard place to be and oh, ain't life doing wrong by me. I don't want it. Maybe I need to give up all country music forever. Country music has never been like a staple of my musical diet, but I can appreciate so much of it. As my dad always said, you know what happens when you play country music backwards? You get your job back, your wife back, and your dog comes home. Maybe that's what I got to do. I just got to play country music backwards, and all of my metaphysical misalignment will be in order. So I become one of those women who just plays happy music. And it can be pop and it can be country. And I've just created playlists, which actually is also part of the Heart Centered membership. We've got playlists of just high vibration, positive music, and it's not sucky new age stuff. A lot of Cleo Soul, Marabe Chiba, my friend's beautiful chorus, Trevor Hall, beautiful artist named Victory. My friend Leanne Rimes has come out with a new album called Mantra. It's gorgeous. Al Green's Old Gospel. Oh, so good. Alt-J, Bob Marley, Sinead O'Connor singing about healing. Nick Mulvey talking about giving it to Kali. And all my favorites are still there. Prince, George Michael, Erica Badu but only the stuff that's singing about the world that I want to live in. We are being programmed from every direction. This is the ultimate in distortion and complexity. What we're getting on the news and the airwaves and social media, our technology devices have become contraptions of conditioning, telling us over and over again in rhythmic, hypnotic ways that we should be heartbroken, that we should be angry, that we should be sick, that we should be rebelling, that we should be angry. Simple thing. Just say, no thank you. Simplify your media diet and your inner radiance and your inner peace is going to start to reveal itself to you. Do not be programmed. So what's the opposite of simplicity, complexity, confusion, density, miasma? How do things get so cluttered and overly complicated? It's usually a function of the ego, of the shadow self, of our wounded self, of the unhealed parts of ourselves that are trying to impress other people. That's living in the conversation of having to be more... Emphasis on more, to get loved, to be approved, to 
get the money to make so-called progress, which is so often backwards. You can do a quick mental survey right now of a lot of the stuff that you own. And you can probably make some attachments to how you thought that stuff was going to bring you something else, whether it's the pair of jeans that you thought were going to make your ass look great, or the purse, or the car, something that was a material possession that was going to act as a symbol or a signal to the outer world that you rank in a certain way, that you are worthy of a certain kind of treatment. And this is not a dynamic that's exclusive to anyone who's got any kind of privilege, although that's certainly a factor at play. Think about the clutter in your calendar, in your own schedule. Busyness has become this badge of honor for so many of us. I mean, especially in the Western world, it's like this anthem, I'm busy. Busy tends to equal importance and value. What's on your to-do list, your schedule, your calendar, that's part of proving yourself to your community, to your boss, to your church, to your social groups? What's there because of FOMO, fear of missing out? What's there because you want to be seen as an activist? What's there because you're pushing for change? Okay, now do a quick scan of your material possessions and your calendar and see what's there because you love it, because it lights you up, because what you own, what you have, what you experience, what you're doing with your time, your energy, and your body is nurturing you on the deepest levels. You feel expanded. You are in that flow of the immediate rewards of giving love. You're flowing love with such ease and such happiness that it starts to blend the lines of giving and receiving. It just feels so good to give what you're giving. That what you own is beautiful. That what you own feels connected to the earth, connected to the community, connected to your dharma, the reason you're here on the planet. That what you're doing with your money, with your time, with your consultations, with the advice you give and the people you organize, it's all aligned with the center of your heart. It's flowing with ease. It's unfettered. It's unblocked. There's no complication to it. It's just simple giving. Unimpeded love. And there's your inventory of simplicity versus overcomplicated. Back to this beautiful definition of simplicity. Simplicity means the absence of pain-causing chains of association. What are pain-causing chains of association? Obligation. Proving. Striving. Ego. Pushing. Polarization. Argumentativeness. Divisiveness. Separatism. All complicate and distort the clear view to the love within. So then, what are love-causing chains of association? Compassion, forgiving, resilience, radiance, generosity-causing chains of association. 
The answer usually has everything to do with meaningfulness, with being on purpose. When we're on purpose, when we're intending to embody loving kindness, we need and want for less stuff. The beauty of simplicity is it allows you to be more generous and more real than ever. The upheaval in the world is, of course, reaching into my personal life. I mean, my belief is that everything that's falling apart around me is a reflection of everything that needs to fall apart within me. Whether it's the strife around medical freedom and the tragedy of medical segregation, whether it's the Taliban oppressing the women of Afghanistan, whether it's all the polarization that's happening within families and communities and the world at large, I know that those are reflections of my own inner rage, my own distortion of forgetting that I am divine and that peace is always there. And I'm clearer than ever with all the simplifying that I have to keep choosing ways to continue to simplify my life, to get it down to the heart of love. My inner chaos is reflected in the outer world. And if that's the truth, then simplifying really is a spiritual practice. And as I let go of more forms of clutter and noise, noise being non-truths, then I am able to be with what arises. I can be with the sadness that comes up within me. I can be with the grief. I can be with all those things I have that divide me from other people and from the beautiful truth of the love that I am. Simplify. And always allow yourself to be aligned with the elegance of the universe. Lighten your load, and you will see what matters the most. Work less to buy stuff to impress people that haven't yet considered loving you unconditionally. Live lightly on the land that keeps us alive. Simplify to deepen. Ingest less and love more. It's that simple. I'm so glad you're here. With love, Danielle. Thank you so much for listening, for feeling, for spreading the word. With love.